Good morning, Paul. What will your first sequence of the day be? Computer load up, celery man, please. Yes, Paul. Could you kick up the uh, 43D3D3? 43D3D3 engaged. Oyster. Uh, give me a printout of Oyster smiling. Okay. Computer? Yes. Do we have any uh, new sequences? I have a beta sequence I've been working on. Would you like to see it? Alright. Okay. Hey, Paul. I'm Tane, your latest dancer. I can't wait to entertain you. Now, Tane, I can get into. Could I see a hat wobble? Yes. And a flargan snow? Yes. Is there any way to generate a nude tane? Not computing. Please repeat. Nude nude tane. This is not suitable for work. Are you sure? Okay. Oh! Oh! Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 311 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. Before we get into the uh, the old meat and potatoes of this episode, I feel like we we should start off with a little bit of light, light like uh, gossip, you know, kind of some some like tabloid tabloid rag kind of shit right at the top, because like. This is this is what passes for tabloid uh, news in in the TMK world. Um, the Financial Times <laughs> is reporting that the the god, the god himself, Masayoshi's son, has reportedly been piling debt on his mm-hmm. Silicon Valley mansion, a mansion mm-hmm. he acquired for a uh, a record sum. Um, 11 years ago when he bought the mansion off of the uh, off of a big uh, private equity guy um, he bought this mansion in Silicon Valley for a hundred and seventeen and a half million dollars um, which at Amazing. the time was the uh, the the largest like house sale um, in in I think in maybe in the US but definitely in California. Uh, and so it was a record, a record sell for a mansion that, according to uh, property assessment, um, like by uh, by both you know uh, property analysts like Redfin, but also according to the homes assessed value for property taxes, um, Sun paid a hundred a hundred and seventeen million dollars for a home of value that. $23 million. Mm-hmm. Um, a man loves to pay premiums for anything and everything that he wants. Um, but that was 11 years ago. And and since then, he has been using it to securitize 
massive uh, loans um, to uh, from a Japanese bank. Uh, using a Delaware entity called SV America Incorporated, which uh, owns the house, um, and so and he's been he's been using it to secure loans worth ninety two million dollars, which he can then which he's then going and using to place like uh, big bets. Um, big, he, my man is addicted. He is addicted to gambling. He's addicted to debt. He is addicted to throwing everything that he owns in hawk to uh, whether it's to his own bank, SoftBank, or to other Japanese banks. Um, and then addicted to paying massive premiums on things that he wants. And then addicted to losing all that money and addicted to starting the cycle over again. Never, never actually losing. Always staying in the game. Uh, I, I, I'm fucking. I love this. I love this so much. We, the the FT article on this uh, whole house saga is so so good too. It's everything I learn about Masayoshi Son just makes him more and more of an icon. And this is also, you know, we've neglected Masayoshi. Well, we haven't we haven't had an official Masayoshi watch segment in a while. But this comes on after you know, as our fellow you know uh, members of the uh, Moby Dick Club will know, uh, after a week that of uh, or a week or two of eating nonstop shit, right? SoftBank had a ten billion dollar loss recently. Uh, Masayoshi Son announced that he was stepping away from day-to-day operations at the firm and instead was going to focus on ARM, which, as you also know and is connected to today's episode, was the uh, chip uh, IP or chip designer and you know holder of a lot of uh, you know, chip design IP uh, that was supposed to be acquired by NVIDIA. Uh, and, he ste- and he said instead he wants to step back you know, to spend time with his family. Uh, with, you know, the investments in uh, ARM, the shares in ARM, right? Um, this is also coming at the time where it's been revealed that he owes about $5 billion to SoftBank itself, that his shares in the second vision fund, right, which was about $56 billion. Um, he had about a 17.25% stake in it. It was valued at $628 million previous quarter, wiped out. You know, it hit its peak in 2021 where it was 2.8 billion. It's been wiped out over the past few years. And the FT also writes in a, in a report on this that the SoftBank netted off the value of his equity from the amount he owed the group, meaning at the end of 2021, this stood at just 4 million, and that he also owes SoftBank $669 million under a similar agreement with its Latin American fund. So $4.7 billion that are also you know, compiled by, or were compiled by, um, you know, another f- fan favorite, uh, SB Northstar, which was that internal hedge fund they made that uh, was the NASDAQ whale that <laughs> created a fucking bubble on the, t- on the NASDAQ tech so- stock sector. I forgot about uh, that. <laughs> I forgot about the NASDAQ whale saga. And it just turned out to be Masayoshi's son being like, oh, sorry, that was my new hedge fund. <laughs> I want so bad. And it's not going to happen. And I know some other fucking writer is going to do it. 
and I'm going to be so mad that they got to do it, but it will make sense. They got to do it because there's more source than me. I want more, almost more than anything to write a very long profile of Masayoshi son. I have no idea how to make it happen. Uh, because the places that I would want to do it are the, really the only places that let me write like a 50 minute article on him, you know, something I'll take you about 50 minutes, maybe an hour to read. Um, and would probably be the places where he would let me, you know, uh, where that he might respond to the email or other people on his orbit might respond to the email. Right. No, no shade on any of the other places, but there's no way in hell anyone who's ever worked at SoftBank will listen, respond to my email, uh, if I'm, if I, they didn't when I was at Vice, and they won't if I'm at, you know, pitching them from some leftist place, um, which sucks because God, I would, I, I would talk to him forever, but because so many places just neglect this guy beyond the kind of crazy caricature, but then you know you read stories like this and you're like, that's why. Um, I want to know everything about him. Why are you? Why are you five billion dollars in debt, bro? <laughs> <laughs> why did you think what how do you feel about the second vision uh vision fund going to shit you know how do you feel about the nasdaq uh you know whale strategy going to shit how do you feel about your strategies and your plans to do horizontal and vertical integration in the ai stack and the ai development stack and the semiconductor stack and the large language model stack going to shit you know this man one of the only capitalists whose vision uh was a you know i mean of course there's just so much greed in it but one of the only ones who you know and maybe it's luck and maybe partly it's just the you know incidentally getting there because of the monopolist vision and and focus on speedrunning monopoly one of the only ones who is like i think i could i think we're in a moment where i could take control of all the fundamental features of the political economy of ai and no one will upend me made a lot of shitty bets and it didn't work out thank god praise be to allah but um but god i would oh my god though probably the only the only tech executive the only tech capitalist i could stand to talk to for more than an hour just because i'm genuinely fascinated by him all these other ones are weird freaks and fascists and reactionary fucks who make my skin crawl when they talk about how they think humans should be organized about the type of society we're supposed to have but i'm i want to know everything about him whereas whereas masayoshi son is like like a lot of these fucking you know fascist tech founders think they're sephiroth but masayoshi yeah. son is more like a kingdom hearts villain he's like a kingdom hearts version of sephiroth you know? <laughs> Just, just a funny little cartoon man. <laughs> <laughs> no, he really is, you know? Uh, he's a funny, funny guy. And I... Oh, my God. If you... If, if for some reason, you are in Silicon Valley or finance world and you listen to this podcast, hit me up and help me make my one dream come true. I mean, honestly, there is... Because so let me tell you, God knows I've been hitting hitting people up who used to work at that place no we're putting it all out here i'm yeah. i'm i'm I'm, po I'm posing a challenge right now to the new yorker hire ed to write <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the ten thousand word profile of masayoshi's son i mean oh it'd be 20 well we're gonna get you know we're gonna get into it in this episode but you know they just ran you know the the this massive profile of jensen wong you know from nvidia 
give us the profile of Masayoshi-san and hire Ed to do it. <laughs> I'm throwing out the challenge right now, you fucking cowards. <laughs> who, will who, who will take up the gauntlet? No, it's... um. The, and the profile of of uh, Nvidia's chief executive, um, and we and and you know, and we can talk about that, especially as we talk about uh, this, you know, Nvidia itself is really interesting because it also uh, is a simultaneously a lot of the things I really, really, really hate about tech journalism, um, but also uh, speak on it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also a very uh, Probably one of the, like, you know, if you are looking for a really quick way to understand and get to the heart of NVIDIA and get a sense of what its importance, both in, like, a real sense and its business model and the product it actually offers, but also in that imaginary and why it lives in the people's hearts and minds, especially at the company as, like, you know, the great white hope. As like the key that will unlock the artificial intelligence revolution. This is a great piece to read, but I do deeply hate kind of how uncritical a lot of the engagement with artificial intelligence and the claims made by these people are throughout the article. And we, you know, we can talk about specific instances as we go throughout. But you know, this is a profile by Nvidia, which is a company that you know has been around for what, like you know almost 30 years now at this point started off offering uh you know chips that really are mainly for uh, to help computers draw images you know and do graphics processing um through a series of uh, happenstance luck and you know nerds on the other end uh having their own questions and hacking the shit realized that they could create an even more powerful chip that over time has become you know part of a large revenue segment I, uh, via uh, data center sales and sales of uh, chips that are um, you know more finely tuned and uh, constructed and organized around training artificial intelligence and that these chips have allowed it to become a one-stop shop for software companies for other hardware companies for tech firms who are also in their own hype, right? And so NVIDIA's story kind of tracks pretty closely to the AI hype story because it takes off really in 2012, which is when you start to see um, excitement again and reinvestment again in artificial intelligence and neural networks and, and you know, pursuits for computation uh, that, that mimic either mimics human thought or operates off the assumption that human minds are computable. And NVIDIA is you know, a really good lens of understanding that. But also, as you'll as we'll talk about in this article, there are a lot of times where the people at NVIDIA um, say insane things in the process of being interviewed for this. Um, and I know there's a technique of, like, you know, letting the subject say insane things and letting that stand on its own. But when you read the article, you don't really get the sense a lot of the times that these claims are ridiculous ones. Um, but instead treated as like, oh, well, you know, like the more important thing is that, you know, some people say this might kill a few people. Some people say this might get rid of some jobs. Some people say this might complicate some elements of daily life, but it will transform everything. And that's really the important thing here. That's the core lesson and takeaway point from our, uh, time spent with the NVIDIA. I mean, it is a real, like, 
it, it is that thing as well where it's like, uh, on one hand, it's, it is a really intriguing, uh, profile and, you know, we're not going to only talk about the profile, but I do think it is worth it because like it is, it does, as you have just laid out, like it fits well in terms of like a meta commentary on this whole thing of like profiling tech founders and tech startups, which is basically how we get most of our in-depth reporting yeah. about, about these people and their strategies and their origins and their ambitions is like, usually it's through this kind of like profiling of them is the only place where you get the the resources and the space to do some serious investigative reporting and and get real access like up close access to them and it, but it's like it's almost always or very often done in the in the genre of this kind of like myth making. There's a weird thing that goes on where this, despite the fact that we have supposedly left behind the the tech journalism um like the era of tech journalism like pre-2016 when it was all about just like stenography for power, repeating press releases, um, doing like building the utopia in the minds of readers um, for these people, right? Just like un- uncritically repeating their their wildest claims with a straight face. Like supposedly we've left behind that era of tech journalism, but like you can still see it in in place now. But now there's just now it feels like there's a bit more of a layer of like I- ironic skepticism here. It's not outright criticism yet. You know, it's not just, it's not like, um, a, a, it, there, there's, it's not the kind of critical analysis you would, um, you would hope, but it is that kind of like ironic skepticism where you just kind of, you give them the, you let them say stuff and then you kind of look askance at the, at the camera, like Jim from the office and be like, yeah, they just said that. <laughs> you know, all right you know and but then it kind of goes it moves on right and so it's like um it requires i think the reader to do a lot of the work of like framing of, of how you want to frame it which also means that you as the journalist are, are are given a lot of like uh a lot of leeway in terms of how you can then spin it later right so like you can still get the access to someone like jensen wong because like you're not you're not being outwardly critical of them, but you can also still cl- like be like, yeah, but I'm doing like really, but I'm doing legit journalism here, and it's not just stenography, it's not just press releases because I I I've quoted them saying some some wild stuff, you know, like this Nvidia, this Jensen Wong profile is very much in that lineage still of like myth making, right? Like these are these are like singular geniuses. Um, now we recognize that sometimes these geniuses can be like Ozymandias. Like they can be geniuses, but they can be like also geniuses doing like bad stuff, not just good stuff. Um, but still, mm-hmm. nonetheless, they are framed as these like singular world historic and also a little quirky uh, in their genius. You know, like, you know, like you said, that kind of reporting kind of unfurls things for us, right? Like we had a Times piece. Uh, that kind of, I think was in 2017, 2018, looking at NVIDIA and how it became integral to the AI industry. At that point, it was already become integral. Uh, and it kind of, you know, glosses over uh, this 2006 to 2012 period that the New Yorker dives into uh, 
that actually starts a bit earlier, but in the you know Times piece, they kind of you know highlight the development of uh, CUDA, you know this supercomputer, the NVIDIA supercomputing um, software package. CUDA stands for Compute Unified uh, Device Architecture, right? Uh, and and this basically was a, a gambit to try to have it so that their uh, GPUs were able to no longer just be used for one task, such as drawing computer images, right? But multiple ta- uh, tasks, right? And kind of processing things in parallel so that they'd be able to, you know, be used for, you know, physics simulations, for weather uh, predictions, for protein folding or anticipation of what a protein would look like if it was folded in a certain way. More more complex, more comp- computational resource intensive purposes. And then we, you know, you know this sort of, in-depth reporting gives us insight into how that, you know, arises, right? That, you know, NVIDIA has been offering uh, its GE, uh, GE Force cards, right? Uh, to kind of push the the boundary of video game processing for years. And that it was actually one gamer, this graduate student who's uh, studying computer graphics at Stanford, who was, you know, rigging them all together to try to play games in higher and higher resolutions, and then eventually wondering if he could hack them. And so he got a grant from DARPA, which is, um, you know, the Defense Department's research agency, um, hacks the shaders, accesses the parallel computing circuits, and repurposes, you know, the 32 GE force cards that he has into a a low budget supercomputer, right? And eventually comes in, you know, from that effort is hired by NVIDIA. And then since 2004, there's been the guy who's running NVIDIA's program CUDA, which is an attempt to, you know, kind of have uh, this this sort of uh, hacked, um, this hacked shortcut implemented at scale. Right, and become you know an integral design to how they're you know the types of chips that they're going to be offering on their GE Force cards, and and so you know the and at the same time you get this really interesting um, backstory. You then also get pithy lines like you know we're democratizing supercomputing, but it's not that they're actually democratizing supercomputing, right? Meredith Whitaker, for example, has just you know we've talked about uh, what, uh, her paper on um, you know the concentration of uh, control over computational resources that shows, you know, actually, if you look across it, almost none of this is democratized, right? Maybe the end product is democratized in the sense that uh, consumers get more and more powerful products and more companies get access to more computational uh, resources, right? But the actual infrastructure, the talent, the money, this is all highly consolidated among a few players and financiers that are established and consistent and behind and driving most of the developments of this field. That is a a refrain that comes up multiple times in the New Yorker piece, as Jensen Wong saying that NVIDIA is democratizing supercomputers. We're democratizing supercomputers. And we can get on to some of the other refrains that comes up as well, such as, you know, like, the you know how this is you know it's a, a low cost solution even though they cost fucking arm and a leg but it's because it, it's going to save you more but the whole thing around democratizing supercomputers is so it's so perfect for what's actually happening here because it's like what that means is uh h- anybody can buy 
uh, an NVIDIA supercomputer, right? So by right. democratizing supercomputers, it just means that like you can purchase one of our supercomputers um, and, th- and thus we are democratizing access. You know, if you have half a million dollars or more, if you uh, are able to um, get your name on a wait list, if this, if that, and also, by the way, we are controlling the entire hardware and software ecosystem for this, but like, hey, it's still a democracy, right? It's a it's a democracy in the way that like the elections are rigged. Uh, the pa- the party in power owns the voting booths and the voting machines. Um, there's only a certain number. Like the institutions can't be changed and their goals can't be changed. But like, but hey, it's still a democracy. I, I fucking love this whole idea of like democratizing X, which just means. Um, being a you know selling it as a monopoly on a uh, on a closed market. Yeah, it, I mean it, it's incredibly insane. In fact, like I want, I would I want to uh, want to quote specifically a section from Meredith um, of the paper to kind of just like talk about how you know this industry capture. Where here, you know, she kind of writes. You know, immediately after 2012, which is the year in which you start to see um, uh, excitement because of the development of uh, AlexNet. You know this uh, this uh, you know Im- technically called ImageNet uh, large scale visual recognition challenge, right? And which is also referenced in this this piece, right? There's a competition to try to see who can create the most impressive results for recognizing. Um, uh, images, right? And that what you saw is NVIDIA uh, chips allowed for algorithms to be trained to uh, and have access to much more resources and ability to compute uh, than previous iterations and generations. And so you had the same algorithm with vastly more computational resources behind it, trained in shorter amounts of time, now able to perform at a level that it wasn't before. So she writes, you know, AlexNet mapped a path forward for large tech companies seeking to cement and expand their power. The resources on which AlexNet's success was de- uh, was dependent were those large tech firms already controlled. Vast computational infrastructure, massive amounts of data and systems in place to process and store it, entrenched market reach that ensured persistent data collection, and the capital to hire and retain scarce talent. Yashua Bengio, one of the forerunners of AI research, put it simply, the computing power, the expertise, the data are all concentrated in the hands of a few companies. The year 2012 showed the commercial potential of supervised machine learning and the power of the term AI as a marketing hook. Tech companies quickly rebranded machine learning and other data-dependent approaches as AI, framing them as the product of breakthrough scientific innovation. Companies acquired labs and startups and worked to pitch AI as a multi-tool of efficiency and precision suitable for nearly any purpose across countless domains. When we say AI is everywhere, this is why. The rhetoric and capital flowing from these firms served to redefine the AI research field, flooding it with funding and focusing the field's attention on data and compute-intensive techniques and research questions. University labs 
and startups that wanted to develop and study AI found themselves requiring access to costly cloud compute environments operated by big tech firms scrambling for access to data, a dynamic that has only intensified since 2012. And, and, you know, none of this is really disputed by the profile, or I think maybe a better way to think of it is that you should have that perspective in mind when you think about the profile, right? What is being described here, what the excitement is around, is a very particular type of uh, technological design and innovation, Um, computation, artificial intelligence, algorithmic management and and, and oversight mediated by larger and larger and larger infusions of of data into larger and larger uh, hordes of computational resources, right? Because that's what NVIDIA is all about, right? The excitement behind NVIDIA, the drive behind its development of products as as we see in this piece and as in other pieces is, you know, capturing more and more of the market, providing more and more of its chips um, and integrating them into more and more AI programs that are promising more and more things because they have access to more and more computation and thus are drawing more and more valuation, higher and higher valuations, more and more capital financing, creating a vicious cycle, right? I mean, this is, is so NVIDIA sits at the center of it and it can be understood in two different narratives. It can be understood as a company that has unlocked the key uh, and a major roadblock to achieving artificial intelligence and that it is now offering computational resources and hardware that allows us to do amazing things. But another more critical way to understand it is that this is a company that uh, is thriving off this particular con- the particular type of computation we've all been forced to go along with, right? That in an era where all the resources are concentrated and where all the know-how is concentrated and all the capital is concentrated, inevitably they'll have to funnel through some narrow point that will be captured. And at this moment in time, the capital, the hardware, the technical know-how, and the infrastructure converge in such a way that NVIDIA stands to profit the most handsomely Right, because everyone is scrambling to build up their own models, scrambling to build up their own data centers, scrambling to build up their own products and services that can be built on top of existing algorithms or that can create their own algorithms and models that can then provide goods and services that are built on top of their own. Yeah, there t- you know, so there are two ways to view it, and I think the profile kind of leans towards the first one, which is that NVIDIA's, there has been a novel breakthrough in the field of artificial intelligence because NVIDIA's chips have paved the way, whereas if we were thinking about it more critically in line with Meredith's you know, analysis, it's that the rise of the, 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 the way in which we've decided to do artificial intelligence means that firms like NVIDIA, as well as the rest of the industry, have to focus on hoarding more computational resources, hoarding more talent, attracting more capital, because they're using the AI both as a marketing thing, 
and promising more and more extravagant things to justify more and more sales and more and more valuations and more and more money driven to the talent to keep them. But they're also using it as a way to galvanize support among you know, all sectors of society, whether it's in deflecting regulatory interest, right, or whether it's in continuing along this path where you're not challenging the institutional structure and the political economy of artificial intelligence and not asking why things are so concentrated and not asking why private individuals and networks have to drive the development of it and not asking why other modes of innovation, other modes of development should be pursued, right? Because it's not immediately obvious why, you know, this shouldn't be, it's still even reading the piece It's and, and other pieces, it's not really clear. Why don't we have like a, you know, a public, I guess, or a non-corporate version of this? You know, why is the state not doing it? Especially when, you know, of course, you know, we know that if the state were doing it, it would also be using it to plug it into, um, primarily into weapons research, right? Into militarized and and, and murderous forms of te- the, the technology that could be amplified and you know empowered by these devices, but there's it. But there are reasons why the narrative around artificial intelligence settles on leaving this to firms, and why the firms that are usually focused on and looked at the most are the firms that have monopolized or concentrated or dominated a specific sector and managed to sit themselves at like a nexus where they can be a gatekeeper controlling the flow of capital and talent and, um, and hardware and resources. It is absolutely true that like NVIDIA has been so neglected and all of the, you know, this reporting cycle and hype cycle and analysis cycle and everything around AI right now is really focused on software. I mean, largely focused on like, uh, you know, a, a couple pieces of, of software like chat GPT um, in particular. So open AI, Microsoft, you know, but like the, the, the hardware side has been so neglected. Um, I mean, that's generally the story of like the internet um, and internet reporting and analysis um, is the neglect of hardware. But like, I think the way to understand NVIDIA and, and the reason why as well that like, you know, the, the only reason we're getting a profile of NVIDIA in the New Yorker, the only reason why like Jensen Wong has become this real, uh, real public figure lately, you know, like you said, he's been around for ages, you know, NVIDIA has been there for 30 years. I mean, I remember buying NVIDIA graphics cards in the 90s um, for computer gaming, you know, and stuff. So like that shit's been there for a long time, you know, um, but like the, the reason why you know, Jensen Wong is able to give like prophetic kind of statements about the future or, uh, and, and, and why NVIDIA, uh, has seen their market cap go above a trillion dollars because, you know, like very rapidly because like last year they, they, what they, their market cap went up like hundreds of billions of dollars essentially overnight um, mm-hmm. because of chat GPT, right? It was all because of open AI. It's all because of chat GPT because like that's the hardware used to train that the models, right? It's the hardware used to train Alex Nest, the hardware used to train chat GPT. Like, you know, it is the hardware that gave rise to the entire kind of, you know, mainstreaming of neural networks. And so like NVIDIA is there. I mean, I think in the New Yorker piece, they 
I think rightfully talk about it as the kind of you know selling the pickaxes and shovels、mm-hmm. for a gold rush, you know,、yeah. and and that's exactly what Nvidia is doing. But they also really need people to keep searching for gold in them dar hills、um, because they need people to keep buying the the latest version of. The 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 pickaxe one thousand, and then the shovel two thousand, and hey, now we got the excavator three thousand. You know, like you need to keep buying the hardware and keep buying the upgraded versions of the hardware, but only our hardware can can really find gold. No one else's hardware can do it. Which also means that we can sell it at a massive premium.、Um, at, you know, but like the focus on hardware here is really. Necessary. It's been really kind of understudied, overlooked in various in various ways. But there's also a really good analogy here that we should be drawing, where like essentially Nvidia is to、uh, B to B enterprise systems, as you know, Apple is to consumers and retail markets, right? Because Apple is a hardware company, like the. The the super majority of Apple's revenues come from iPhone sales, and they've created a walled garden, closed ecosystem with the Apple Store, such that they can lock you into the hardware sales, such that they can develop a or create a kind of closed developer ecosystem、um, that's meant to be this like value add, right? Like this is also why we talked about like the、um, the Epic lawsuit. Uh, against Google versus the one against Apple, you know,、uh, Epic won their lawsuit against Google because Google's saying that their their app system was a, an open ecosystem, and their lawsuit was showing all these ways it's not open. Apple has never claimed to have an open system; they've always claimed that the closed walled garden ecosystem is actually a value add. It's actually something that consumers. Want to buy into because they trust the curation and oversight of Apple, so it gave them the legal defense to win the lawsuit against、uh, against Epic.、Um, and the same thing is happening with Nvidia. Like the whole, like Nvidia's whole business strategy is about having. You know, controlling the the hardware. It's all about hardware revenue for them. But with that hardware comes locking you into the into CUDA, into this closed proprietary e- software ecosystem that can only run on the the Nvidia hardware, and that becomes necessary for the development of other stuff. Right. So, like Nvidia is, in in terms of business models, Nvidia is. Apple, right? Like these are these are two companies running the same exact business model, but targeting different segments of the、um, of the market. And in fact, you know, I, I just recently Microsoft topped Apple as the most valuable company in the world, right? Like they just like at the close of The bell、uh, at the stock market bell on like last Friday or something. Microsoft had topped、uh, Apple. I think it was like two point seven eight trillion market cap for Apple to like the two point eight five trillion market cap for Microsoft. Right.、Um, I don't know where Nvidia is at, but they they were over a trillion. You know, this is they you know. 
became a more than trillion dollar company essentially overnight after jumping hundreds of billions. But like, there's the the um, the whole thing that I'm getting at here as well is that Apple has had like no AI strategy with their uh with their business they've still really focused on on like consumer goods on iphones now with this like vision pro is their is their like their newest hardware in a long time um whereas like microsoft has gone all in on the ai strategy nvidia has gone all in on the ai strategy and we can really see that in the market cap where like microsoft through open ai controlling the software side of AI and NVIDIA controlling the hardware side of AI. And like, these are the, you know, the, the, uh, the, these are the, 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 the monopolies um, of, of our current time period right now. And I think that like a lot of attention has been put on Microsoft, nowhere near as much attention put on NVIDIA in part because people maybe don't understand what NVIDIA does. They don't understand what GPUs are or what all of this, uh, you know, stuff is like, it's not consumer facing like chat GPT. And so like, it's hard to report on. It's hard for people to have like a connection to it in any kind of personal way. Um, if you're just a reader, which means it's hard to write journalism about it. It all seems so inside baseball, you know? Um, but like, I really think NVIDIA is the, is, is just as much the story here as Microsoft with where the tech sector is going, where the economy, where like this whole political economy of technology and thus uh, everything else is, is really heading. I mean, it's also, you know, the fact that like NVIDIA is such a, a crazy monopoly um, and, and, and the way that like the gross profit margin on NVIDIA's equipment is approaching 70 percent. What yeah. what business mm-hmm. has a seventy percent profit margin? <laughs> you know, that like that sense. shit is fucking wild to me. And it, and it's like you know the um, the New Yorker piece talks about how like you know this quote this ratio attracts competition in the manner that chum attracts sharks. Google and Tesla are developing AI training hardware, as are numerous other startups. One of those startups is called Severus, which makes a quote-unquote mega chip the size of a dinner plate. Severus's CEO said of NVIDIA, quote, they're just exhorting their customers and nobody will say it out loud. Um, and then Wong countered that by, that the, by saying that the, the well-trained AI model can actually reduce customers' overhead and other business lines, quote, the more you buy, the more you save, said Wong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it, 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 I love that that fucking strategy of like, well, actually, the more you buy, the more you save. It, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so so it's a real win win. Yes, we're getting seventy percent profit margins, but you're getting like eighty percent savings, and so it's real value creation on everybody's end. But. I love the the idea of like these uh, like these chip startups being like nobody will say it. Nvidia's got us over a barrel, and then no one will say it. No one will say. <laughs> uh, no one will talk about it out loud. You know, but it's like there is a truth to that where like people are locked into Nvidia not just because of hard the hardware, but also because of CUDA because of this. Um, 
this closed proprietary ecosystem that like they you know again it's the the it's not just the like the pickaxes and shovels um but it's also like the pickaxes and shovels have a drm on them you know and you can't use the pickaxes and shovels to to mine for gold unless you are doing it with a license from uh uh nvidia and also um nobody knows how to use the pickaxes and shovels uh except in the very specific way um that like nvidia designs their pickaxes and shovels to be used and so you kind you have to use their proprietary pickaxing technique uh in order to mine for gold like that like the analogy starts spinning out of control when you really start thinking about how it's like it's not only that they have this um that they have the, the market cornered on the necessary hardware but they also have the mar- like like com- like total control over how uh, that hardware can be used. It's not an open system in any way. And that allows them to charge these like gross monopoly uh, profit, uh, like have these gross monopoly profit margins on, on the sale of stuff while also still having people lining up around the corner, you know, to, to buy this, this like supercomputer that they've got, uh, what was it called? The DGX uh, H100, which runs five times as fast as the hardware that trained ChatGPT and could have trained AlexNet in less than a minute. Uh, NVIDIA is projected to sell half a million of these devices by the end of the year. Um, and these these devices are these uh, these kind of AI training modules. They're these 370 pound metal boxes that can cost up to $500,000 each and they are projected to sell half a million of these $500,000 uh 350-pound metal boxes. Um so like people are are clamoring, lining up around the door, like selling Nvidia chips uh and GPUs and uh these H100s like on secondary markets for massive um, uh, upcharges on top of the massive uh, upcharge that NVIDIA is already selling um, them for. So it's, it's, it's absolutely wild. The, 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 like the, the whole, the whole political economy of NVIDIA, um, the whole like market dynamics of NVIDIA is, is insane. And then, and it's, it's extremely recent too, you know, like, it's really only in the last couple of years um, that that this is that this has become the case um, that like that they've grown to be this size grown and grown to have this much like the market control. Another way to also think about their the market capture that they've enjoyed, right, is you know kind of asking like what have they tried to do in the year since they've started to achieve it. Like, what have been, if NVIDIA is really interested in democratizing supercomputing, you know, have has it made investments, acquisitions, and business spe- uh, expansions that align with the mission where you are democratizing supercomputing? Is it offering its products in that way? Is it making partnerships in that way, right? One of the more and one of the like really insightful periods 
And also another reason why NVIDIA is a great company to look at, you know, is, you know, because it's because it's its central role in this hype machine and the industry itself, it has, you know, suffered a lot of the things and enjoyed a lot of the things that it has. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. One of the things to look at is, um, you know, two things. One, it's relationship with SoftBank. And two, what that relationship with SoftBank also touched upon, right? You know, in uh, in the Masayoshi Sun biography, um, Aiming High, there is a conversation, which I don't think I've seen reported elsewhere, um, between Masayoshi Sun and I believe NVIDIA's head. Um videos or arms heads oh, I, sh- I feel i feel like an idiot for uh, forgetting it at this point i should have had it in my notes um but you know he's having a discussion you know kind of about how the vision one of the core visions he has so horizontally and vertically integrated artificial intelligence or f- uh company right a firm that is responsible for the development of the software and the hardware that is going to train develop deploy artificial intelligences the algorithms that they manage the platforms that, that will integrate them so and you know and a bunch of products that will you know uh, facilitate all of this softbank invested in nvidia with its vision fund one because it understood nvidia's the the potential in nvidia's artificial intelligence chips it understood the computational power behind them, whether or not it had clear eyes about whether those breakthroughs that seemed to be happening because of scientific insight were happening because of computational power being thrown at them is another thing. But it more or less understood that NVIDIA was a hot prospect because of uh, these chips um, and invested uh, in them early on and made a pretty hefty sum had exited the investment, uh, totally by, um, by 2019, it sold its entire 4.9 billion, uh, 4.9% stake for the $3.3 billion return, right? One of the few unambiguously, um, good bets that Masayoshi Sun has made. NVIDIA, uh, Masayoshi Sun also invested in ARM, right? And so NVIDIA and ARM exist uh, two different points of this uh, in the kind of life cycle of development for uh, these semiconductor chips right and, and nvidia is over here offering the hardware itself right nvidia is concerned with um the design or uh, nvidia is concerned with the actual uh, chip itself it's also offering and and has some uh, control over design of its parallel uh computing chips whereas arm a company that it threatened to merge with is responsible for a chip design intellectual property right and integrating these two would allow the company to enjoy control over the entire would have allowed the uh, company to enjoy total control over the entire industry right because now you don't just have hardware and a software company that is controlling graphics cards both in the gaming industry, but also in you know secondary applications that are being used and, and increasingly becoming primary applications. But now you also are controlling who's getting access to these semiconductors. Uh, and you are driving also the development and the terms of acquisition 
for these chips. And these chips are becoming more and more integral and integrated into increasingly digital and electronic goods and services. The FTC had sued to block the merger of NVIDIA and ARM in 2021 um, on the grounds that this would be a vertical integration that would distort the market totally and erect a bunch of moats that would prevent any competition from merging, and that this would destroy competition specifically in autonomous vehicles. Uh, in the hardware and software necessary to either do lane detection or to uh, to drive assist, right, or to do um, you know any ancillary breakthroughs that might help one day uh, create sufficiently autonomous driving, if, it, if it'll ever happen. Um, data center networking products, um, so data security, but also you know any any sort of uh, solution or enterprise that might be scaled up from cloud computing or from handling and managing data centers themselves. And then, again, CPUs that are connected to these cloud-based applications or services that might be offered. This would also allow NVIDIA, this would have also allowed NVIDIA to now have control over the trade secrets um, that NVIDIA's rivals um, you know, have, right? And that this would allow them to either undermine their competitors in a different area um, and displace them and erect permanent moats to prevent them from ever coming back in. So the question then, you know, becomes, and also gets, uh, also becomes an interesting uh, kind of tidbit in that SoftBank also invested in ARM. You know, the question then becomes, do you allow the merger to happen? Their merger was killed. And instead, ARM, instead of being acquired by NVIDIA, uh, was then uh, kind of repackaged for suitors as a IPO that NVIDIA would then invest in and that SoftBank was supposed to make its money out of um, and did. And here, I think the way to kind of understand this development in this saga is that, you know, there's an understanding that one, right? And, and we've talked about this in a lot of other tech industries and sectors that sit at the frontier of burning money and figuring out a way to create value and attention to sustain uh, the fumes, right? There's an understanding that if you throw enough compute at something, you can make it happen or an assumption of this, right? And there's also the belief that if you throw enough capital into this compute searching and compute consolidation and compute scaling and compute, compute consolidation project, right? That you can achieve these goals. And that if you were to create a firm that consolidated the supply chains and was able to keep out competitors and was able to monopolize various points of this industry, um, you would be able to soak up enough capital, hoard enough computation, um, drive enough of the innovation and so on, in such a way that it would be able to sustain its valuation, sustain demand, uh, choke out competition, or acquire them and, and get whatever innovation they actually did develop, um, and, and, and basically have enough capital to defend the moat and reorient the center of gravity in the industry around its own garden, around its own system, around its own devices, right? Such that you then don't really have to worry about whether or not you actually did make or can make AI because your chips are the most advanced ones. Your chips are ubiquitous. 
um, every application, every computational system, every cloud-based computational system, every data center, every autonomous agent, every algorithm, every platform is in one way or another connected to, running to, or dependent on your offerings. And you have enough capital to buy or kill anything that might disrupt that, right? That was the goal, I think, of the merger, and it failed. But I think this gives you a sense of, you know, when we're talking about democratizing supercomputing, what we're actually talking about is giving people more compute for their dollar, maybe, but that's not democratizing anything, right? Because you get more dollar, you get more compute for your dollar, but only after, but but only really because the arrangement here is not like using more compute to to break away so that we can have exponentially better outcomes, but using the capital to make it so that most of the compute is within their control so that, yeah, you can, you can spend less money to get more compute and rent more compute from them and get access to more of the computational infrastructure, but you don't own it and you don't, you don't keep it and everything you do is built on top of it. And they continue to extract rents at every single level of the system. Right. And so I don't know. I don't think we would, we don't think of, the streaming economy is democratizing the production of content and democratizing, you know, the ability to watch TV or to watch films. We don't think about uh, the ubiquity of uh, the gig economy as the democratization of, of, of servant labor, right? We don't think of any of these platforms and these rent-seeking firms that are trying to balkanize and dispossess as democratization. The reason why you're able to think that in the artificial intelligence community is, you know, because so much of it is already concentrated that they're able to do a little bit of a rhetorical trick by saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to consolidate it even further so that we can offer it to you even cheaper, you know? And that ends up being, I think, a lot of the, that ends up being a lot of fuel for some of the rhetoric missing completely the really pernicious and, uh, and insidious, I think, design that they have, which is like they, a desire and aspiration for a permanent monopoly, right? That will survive the AI winner, um, whatever AI winner inevitably happens, or will be able to stave it off indefinitely. I mean, I will say like there, there were and are absolutely people who would say that like, you know, streaming and posting is democratizing, you know, media, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that like that gig, that, that the gig platforms are democratizing access to, yeah. to services. Like, you know, we know all that shit, all that is bullshit, right? Like it's born out yeah. again and again and again. You can't twist it in any way at all to, to mean democratization. Like we know that it's all bullshit, that all of that is snake oil, that all that was the, the product of like you know cynical uh you know pitches for investment um and then and then the 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 hustlers and the bullshit artists and like we know all of that right i mean but for some reason it has not uh, um prevented the same exact rhetoric from being said here that you know chat gpt is democratizing access to ai um, for to everybody, and Nvidia is democratizing access to supercomputers. You know, so you got 
add democratization to the models uh, and you got democratization to the infrastructure. Uh, you know, and we know, like, obviously it's all fucking bullshit, right? But like, it is very interesting to see how yet again, um, just like fucking Wiley Coyote running into the same trap over and over and over again, you know, hitting the same tunnel painted on the side of a wall um, over and over and over. Like people are just really, you know, rushing to fall for the same bullshit. You know, they, they're, they're more than happy to give, um, you know, Sam Altman and Jensen Wong uh, the ability to say that they are democratizing stuff through their complete and total concentrated control over the thing um, that that they are then claiming to democratize by opening access to it for everybody on a market, right? I, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess Coca-Cola democratized access to soda pop uh, and by that same logic as well. You know, they democratized diabetes. Um, congrats, you know, we, we praise Coca-Cola for democratizing diabetes the same way that uh, we praise uh, OpenAI and NVIDIA for democratizing uh, all of this fucking, you know, uh, AI and 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 shit. I don't know, man. <laughs> it, it, it's the same. It's the same stuff over and over and over again. And and they're just given and they're given the same. Like I I want there to be more of the coverage. I'm like on one hand, it's go back to what we were saying at the start. Like I'm happy to see this long profile of Nvidia because there was a lot of really interesting stuff. Like I learned a lot reading this long profile of NVIDIA. Um, but at the same time, you just can't keep giving these people these platforms to say, to just say whatever bullshit they want, make them and, and keep putting words in other people's mouths. Like, you know, uh, some, you know, a professor of physics at National Taiwan University who's quoted as saying, Jensen is a visionary. He made my life's work possible. You know, you just keep putting words in other people's mouths, talking about how this guy is a singular world historic visionary, genius, prophet, you know, that like he he is at once completely and totally insane um but but it, but but he he makes you better for his insanity you know that like uh you know sure you know as this piece says you know a visit from wong can turn a cubicle into an interrogation chamber um as one industry analyst said typically in silicon valley you can get away with fudging it you can't do that with Jensen. He will kind of lose his temper. You know, talking about how Wong uh, sends hundreds of emails per day um, to staff, micromanaging everything. Um, but he does it because he has this radical belief that quote um, that quote failure must be shared. Uh, you know, like like it's it's fucking crazy making to see this kind of stuff said and repeated and put in the words of other people's mouths. So it's not you, the journalist saying it, it's you just quoting other people saying the most insane shit. Like, okay, to add on to your point, like, you know, like they're like, 
just reading this piece, right? There's almost no mention of that merger that we talked about. You know, that's one question you might raise. Like, what were you guys trying to do with the merger? Another question you might raise are like, what kind of investments have you guys been making over the past few years and into what startups? You know, what guides your acquisition strategy? What guides your investment strategy? What's your relationship with OpenAI like? What do you view the purpose of that relationship to be? And are you interested in being that for other firms? to a certain end or is it just a business relationship you know like a lot of the kind of second order questions that would shed more light don't emerge and part of that is because if you're doing the quasi or the literary mode of interrogation um here and spending all this time painting a story and following a subject around you sacrifice that but that's also part of the problem why like we have weird ideas of what tech is and what tech journalism is, is like this humans centered around these founders in ways that it might not be like their ideas might drive the development of these things, but, but also at the same time or not, we pretend that they don't, I mean, you know, these are, these are great men, but they're also just little babies on the market, you know? There's little piggies on the market and, you know, if a big bad wolf comes blowing, then that's it. Right. So it, it, I don't know. Often it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. They're, they're great men forging a path ahead, but they're also vessels of faith and mark fate and market forces. And they also like don't have interior motives, but they also have enough of an interior drive to shape the world around them and to get people to fall in line with a vision that they have, but don't have. Yeah. I mean, there's not only uh, little mention of the ARM merger in this piece, there is uh, zero mention of ARM at all yeah, in this yeah. piece. You know, yeah. they talk about it at, you know, AMD, right? That yes. like, you know, a, they, like a little bit towards the end, they talk about this in terms of like, oh, but there is competition, you know? And like, they're related. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that. That was crazy that, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that the CEO of AMD... Uh, is like Wong's first cousin once removed, <laughs> but uh, but but they but they only bring that in to be like, but there is some competition. Nvidia does not have a monopoly there. You know there is some competition here. But what is given um, a, a lot of like you know space in this piece is just letting people say really wild stuff and then have the journalists be like huh, I never thought of it that way, you know, or like, wow, like that really, it really made me think, you know, in, in particular, so here talking about how, you know, that uh, NVIDIA is selling these, these racks of these uh, DGX H100s um, to train, you know, the most advanced AI models um, that like, you know, NVIDIA will arrange these in, you know, like library stacks, filling data centers with tens of millions of dollars of supercomputing equipment. You know, the piece goes on, the, the journalist, the New Yorker writes, quote, there is no obvious limit to the AI's capabilities. And then from mm. there, quotes Ilya Sutskever, uh, you know, from, you know, of OpenAI, who mm -hmm. says, quote, if you allow yourself to believe that an artificial neuron is like a biological neuron, then it's like you're training brains. They should do everything we do. Then the, the New Yorker piece goes on. I was initially skeptical of Sutskever's claims. 
I hadn't learned to identify cats by looking at 10 million reference images, and I hadn't learned to write by scanning the complete works of humanity. But the fossil record shows that the nervous system first developed several hundred million years ago and has been growing more sophisticated ever since. And then quoting from NVIDIA's、um, head of deep learning research, quote, There have been a lot of living creatures on this earth for a long time that have learned a lot of things, and a lot of that is written down in the physical structures of your brain. What the fuck are you、okay. talking about? <laughs> This is also like such an insane skirt around a very intense guns out debate within neuroscience and philosophy about, of, about minds to just be like, well, if you, if you close your eyes with me. Uh, shout out all the screaming academics, all the screaming philosophers and neuroscientists in the corner, and pretend that they're kind of like an artificial neuron. <laughs> no, <laughs> but they're not. But they're not. And even if they were, even if they were, scaling, putting together 10 million of them still doesn't give us any insight into the mind, right? That is part of the whole problem. That's why we're building these fucking things in the first place, because it turns out if you just get a bunch of artificial neurons together, they don't make a mind, right? They make something that could be compared to a mind. They make something that can be、uh, manipulated into generating things that look like what come out of minds, but they are not. Have not been and almost certainly will never be minds. And to argue otherwise is an argument, but it's not like, you, it's not just like a, it's just not a little position you get convinced of when you listen, to, you know, to have three conversations with people in the company. What if I had genetic memories、um, of like things that people learned? Thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years ago that are etched onto the substrate of my brain. What if you I know, had genetic memories? It, it's like, like when, I, when you were reading that piece, I was also thinking of like, you know, another thing you might ask is okay, look, there's no limit to what the AI can do. We're democratizing supercomputing so that everyone can have access to it. How do you square that with the fact that, like, you know, the United States has put Has, has been engaged in an economic war with China for years now, and that multiple times NVIDIA has been forced to change its chip design, especially over the past two years, to、uh, ensure that China doesn't have access to、uh, cutting edge artificial intelligence or algorithms. We must have the capacity to train them. So, what do we say to the democratizing computing and to like, the excitement about recreating a mind when we say, oh, but like, not for. The Chinese or Russians, but mainly not for the Chinese, right? That would open up an interesting discussion about okay, who does get to have computing? Why don't they get to have computing? Oh, is it because of geopolitics? I wonder what geopolitics has had, what influence geopolitics has had on computing in the United States, perhaps, and then the priorities and the types of forms that it, develop, it, it takes and develops and, and is,、uh, generates excitement over, you know? Like, I understand, of course, you know, one piece cannot be all these things. You know, it's not going to, and, and, and it's a profile ultimately, right? But the things that are included and interested and, per, and pursued, it's points of inquiry, 
tend to c- consistently overlap with a lot of the talking points that Silicon Valley kind of pushes out. Minds are computable. We're democratizing supercomputing. This is an issue of just not having enough computational resources. Uh, if you consolidate access and capital to them, then we can provide them for increasingly exotic and amazing and human-like uh, instances or uh, applications, and that this is going to fundamentally transform society. When in reality, the truth is much more closer to the point that, like, this is a product of uh, a specific type of geopolitics that converges and dovetails with military or military industrial complex, with the ascension of venture capital, uh, and is going to be limited to ro- being rolled out and deployed in ways that affirm the concentration of big tech firms enjoy uh, that that affirm the national security interests of the United States, right? Um, that can be wielded against other foes in economic, political, or, or you know, uh, you know, military dimensions. Um, and that has less to do with um, uh, generating something as exciting as a potential mind and more to do with, you know, generating as much rent as possible, generating as much, uh, you know, advantage over a, a military rival as possible or corporate rival as possible, uh, and also subduing the public sector and the state because then they're going to be dependent on these firms. But that that's okay because they're going to make everything a little bit cheaper and more efficient and precise. Yeah, I mean, it's like the 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 piece is very much guilty of as is so much of the uh, uh, attention reporting you know, po- policy, uh, you know, analysis or hearings, like all, like is guilty of letting Silicon Valley just kind of sit in its contradictions without ever having to um, recognize, let alone resolve them as well. So it's like, it's on one hand, we, it, it goes back to what you were saying about being like, um, you know, we, we control an all powerful God, but we're also just small beings. We're just little yeah. guys, you yeah. know, like, uh, you know, we, yeah, sure. We have a, you know, monopolistic, uh, you know, we've, we, we've monopolized the market, but also like, Hey, there's, there's a lot of other people like sitting in these contradictions because it's also like, on one hand, you can say something, you know, you, you, you have space to be quoted in this piece saying that there's no there's no limit to the capabilities of AI that they're making minds um, well but then at the same exact time in the piece when the author raises some concerns uh, <laughs> because of a um, a, a bone chilling video that the the, uh, the author watched of a robot um <laughs> staring at its hands and seeming recognition then sorting a collection of colored blocks my man you are getting fooled um and, but, <laughs> but then raising that video he watched with Jensen Wong and and then qu- just quoting verbatim Wong like giving Wong a softball pitch you know not even a softball pitch a fucking like little league t-ball um, setting the ball on the stand and then letting Wong walk up with a Louisville slugger and then just quote him verbatim where Wong says, I know how it works, so there's nothing there. It's no different than how microwaves work. I pressed Wong, an autonomous robot surely presents risks that a microwave oven does not. He responded that he has never worried about the technology, not once. Quote, all it's doing is processing data. There are so many other things to worry about. 
And it sucks because it's like on some level that is, and we've talked about how on some level that's similar to our position, but for very different reasons. Silicon Valley and the people building this shit are who to worry about, and people like him are who to worry about, right? It's not just some neutral. Div- I mean, it, you know, it is technology and an artifice that can hold politics, and but the politics that it's holding are coming from uh, some of the uh, more sordid ca- uh, corners, for consciously or unconsciously. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, I'm I'm not concerned about some robot. Uh, staring at its hand in recognition, supposedly. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. I am very much concerned about people like Jensen Wong uh, co- having complete and total control over the uh, every every stage of the production line and value chain for that robot or for that AI model. Uh, you know that that is the real worry here. But that worry never actually comes up um, because again. If these pieces are, they just walk a tight line. Like they try to walk this tightrope between, like, you know, uh, the AI, we're building AI minds, we're building AGI, um, we're, at ex- we're at risk of existential danger. Um, while at the same time, they're just processing data. It's no different than a microwave oven. There's nothing here. Um, but what, what I'm like really being like is, yeah, but what about the people saying this shit? What about Jensen Wong? What about Ilya Sutskiver? What about NVIDIA? What about OpenAI? Uh, you know, I, I don't care about, uh, the, 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 the kind of contradictory statements about the technology, and I don't care about anytime we focus on the person, it's as like, this is a quirky guy who always wears a leather jacket and speaks in riddles uh, and has a singular um, unbroken vision of the world he's creating. Uh, and and he, he at once makes your life a living hell, but makes you better through the the living hell he put like i don't care I, I don't care about all of that uh the stop giving me the personal give me the political you know but like that never uh that we've we've just somehow we're not there yet um and i feel like nvidia is a company where like we really need to be there um just as much as we are with with open ai with microsoft with apple like we we need to be there with Nvidia. You know, everyone really wants to know. Fuck all the, fuck all the. Uh, this piece is also. This piece has an amazing nugget near the end. If you stand near it, if you wait, fuck all the AI bullshit. Let's talk about the Omniverse. What <laughs> the fuck are they doing? What the fuck was that? <laughs> Welcome everybody to my. Uh, <laughs> I swear to God, you know, you know the way that. I was I couldn't stop thinking about how they had they were talking about how gamers would have all the GE Force cards to project to have like eight screens to game all day. And in my head, I was just thinking about the fucking goon caves that people have where they just have eight screens full of porn. And I and when the Omniverse popped up, I was like, this is just they're just gonna use this to goon all day. I don't really I don't know all this bullshit he's talking about about we're creating a safe alternative physical re- environment for the AI to learn. No, I'm I know what 
now you're making a you're making a gamer space. That's what you're doing right now. Oh, it's, it's not even thinly veiled. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll quote, <laughs> I'll quote uh, a paragraph from the uh, um, from the end here, where the omniverse comes up. <laughs> I asked Wong if he was taking any gambles today that resemble the one he took twenty years ago. He responded immediately with a single word: omniverse. Inspired by the VR architecture gambit, the Omniverse is NVIDIA's attempt to simulate the real world at an extraordinary level of fine-grained detail. Wong has described it as an industrial metaverse. Uh, And then it goes on, um, like the the journalist is getting a demo of the Omniverse um, that's like powered by the, uh, you know, by NVIDIA graphics cards. Um, you know, it, it's essentially just extremely advanced, like ray tracing, right? To simulate mm-hmm. like the light physics to make these kind of hyper photorealistic effects, you know. And then um, in the demo, the the journalist co- continues. The specialist then showed me Diane, a hyper realistic <laughs> digital avatar that speaks five languages. A powerful generative AI had studied millions of videos of people to co- create a composite entity. It was the imperfections that were most affecting. Diane had blackheads on her nose and trace hairs on her upper lip. The only clue that Diane wasn't truly human was an uncanny shimmer in the whites of her eyes. We're working on that, the specialist said. Porn! They're going to make (laughs) porn. They're going to make the craziest porn. There's nothing else for people in the metaverse. Guys, what the fuck is an industrial metaverse? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck is that? That sounds like a punk, a post-punk band name or a post-post-punk band name. Okay? What the fuck is an industrial metaverse? Explain that to me. That should have been explained to me before I had to suffer through whatever else the rest of that shit was. <laughs> In the late 90s, there were these cyber cafes where people could go to log on to computers that had high-speed internet when it wasn't as available as it is now. And someone had an enterprising idea where they set all their computers up with Napster. So people would go in and download music off Napster and every one of those computers had a CD burner. Mm-hmm. So you take all those, all those albums that you're downloading, you're putting on that CD, right? Mm-hmm. And you take it home. Well, inevitably the guy's business fell apart because everybody's computers had viruses on them because they were downloading fucking viruses. <laughs> Right. So maybe what's going to happen with this is it's just someone is going to write some type of software or write some type of uh, malware that's just going to infect these people in their fucking goon goon caves. God, I got got an STD IAN and it's crashed my (laughs) whole network. It's it's like a cross. It's a cross between a virus and like snow crash. You know. I know it's so funny that they are all doing snow crash, like they're making the metaverse. They're do they're just building snow crash, but along with it, they are actually going to make snow crash, like the the <laughs> the, the, the virus that the book is named after. <laughs> all I could think of when they were describing Diane, and you're you're right. This is the, the this just because they can't call it the Gooniverse. Um, but all I could think of is the uh, the Tim and Eric the uh celery man <laughs> show me new tang where paul rudd is computer yes. computer show me new tang <laughs> oh, i could not believe i could not believe that section 
That was so crazy to me. You're using the profile of you and the AI issue to also drop your newest mixtape, some bull, which is just a remix of everyone else's shitty mixtapes that flopped. How many companies said they were going into the metaverse and Web3? Has it, I if you listen to this podcast, send me a picture of you in the metaverse if you've ever gone in there, right? I don't know. I know actually, I, I can't say I don't know a single soul because I know a lot of reporters who went there to see if other people went there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know a single fucker who actually went into that shit. Look, if if Pornhub hasn't set up in the metaverse, that there is no reason for people to be in the metaverse. <laughs> It is the wildest thing that they ended the pro this profile of of Jensen Wong. Literally, the last section, the last like four paragraphs of this profile is just like omniverse. And then, like the journalist of the the last paragraph of the entire profile starts with the journalist saying, "I felt dizzy leaving the product demo." I thought of science fiction. I thought of the book of Genesis. My man, fuck oh off. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I saw God Ooh. in Diane's eyes. <laughs> I thought of killing myself when I realized that this is where that piece was going to end. Are you kidding me? Bro, the, oh my God. I, I, <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I had wondered aloud if an AI might someday kill someone. <laughs> Eh, electricity kills people every year. I said, love that uh, <laughs> Kintern Zaro, who's the uh, the lead deep learning researcher at NVIDIA. I wondered if it might eliminate art. Uh, it'll make art better. It will make you much better at your job. I wondered if someday soon an AI might become self-aware. In order for you to be a creature, you have to be conscious. You have to have some knowledge of self, right? Said Wong. I don't know where that could happen. And then it just ends. <laughs> Computer, activate Nudetain protocol. <laughs> you know, I think one day we're going to have an AI smart enough to recreate the universe segment from Tim and Eric. You wouldn't want to put the universe in a, in a bag because... It's kind of it's kind of like a tube, and so if you put it in a tube, it'd be two times, two times the tube. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, the whole like uh, value proposition of the metaverse was it's free real estate, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, so yeah, you can explain so much of this through Tim and Eric bits. <laughs> and I Better think you should leave, right? <laughs> yeah. I could imagine the the sketch where he's in the haunted house tour. And it's just like some dude who hasn't gone in the metaverse. And he's like, do any of these fuckers, when they're in the metaverse, blow big fat wads into the walls? Oh, fuck yes! <laughs> just like us asking questions, interviewing people at the company, not trying to, not trying to ruin anyone's day, not trying to make anyone have the worst day at their job. <laughs> just want to ask some critical tech questions about what the fuck you're doing here. Oh, the real question is: is what's a uh, what's Jensen's goon cave look like? Oh my god. <laughs> It's, it's unimaginable. You, you saw it. You saw it. Yeah. 
What do you think they made Diane for? Have you guys have been? Have you seen the Eye in Vegas? Oh, well, I wish I saw the Sphere in Vegas. I would love to. That's that's his goon cave. It was under <laughs> it was under construction when we were there, and it looked like we're home we're home bomb from uh, Westworld. Looked like they're just building a giant fucking AI brain over there. No, I think his uh, I think the office is his goon cave. You remember the section where he kind of talks about it, and you just I can hear the quivering in his voice where he's like, "This is the only building that's needed AI to be designed." Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that mm. I'm getting what's his name from Grandma's Boy vibes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. All right, I think that is a good place to end this episode. Uh, like the New Yorker profile, we end with the Gooniverse. Um, <laughs> that's the future of Nvidia. I left in my with my pants around my ankles and my hips were tingling. What did I just, (laughs) what what did I just witness? (laughs) Diane sucked me off. (laughs) The ray tracing on those ropes was unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody has to clean up in the metaverse. (laughs) Right. That's right. Oh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, if you like that, you can find more of it at patreon.com slash thismachinekills for additional premium episodes every single week. Uh, so find us there. Uh, and until next time, later. Adios. I'm okay. Excuse me, Paul. Your wife is on the phone. It's an emergency. I'll get it later. We have important work to do.
Hill. 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 